talk. Uh, this is it. Okay, you guys got to be really praying for me. Okay, and this is this is an amazing sermon, and I'm still a little muddle-headed, so I need a lot of grace. Feel free to chime in when I get a name wrong and stuff. I'm certain I'll trip over a few things here today, but bottom line is, I just want to say. It's amazing what God is already doing with these soap sermons. You know, when you do a soap every day, you'll find that they start to connect with themes over time. Now, each one of these sermons has connected this way. And in fact, last week, the first week, if you haven't seen the first week's one, by the way, that was two weeks ago. And I know a lot of people were gone. It was July 1st. Can I just say something? That's a have-to-see sermon, okay? I messed up on it. I'll talk about it next week. But the bottom line is, you have to see that sermon. It is so uh, key to uh, the most incredible revelations. And again, I'd like you to do it between now and next week, because next week we're going to be dealing with some of the things that were in there in a way as to take them to an amazing place. And again, what I want to say is, because I was sick last week, I didn't get a chance to hear directly uh, your sermon, Greg. And I have to tell you, uh, your sermon, I think, is absolutely dead on to what God is trying to tell his body right now. I mean, when I heard it the first time, I told him at the time, I said, that is exactly what the Lord's been talking to me about. He did it just perfectly in the run-through. I was just amazed. I, I'm telling you, where we're going next week with that idea is so... You will never make, you'd never make the connection between the two things. It's not like just an extension of them. It is unbelievable what the Lord wants to say. It's so amazing that here I am sick all week, and I'm thinking to myself, I already know what you want to do that week. Let me just do that this week. But God, in this just tender, precious way, says, no, stick with the program. And so I do the soaps, and as I'm going through the soaps, all of a sudden I see this sermon that absolutely has to be in between the first one, the second one, and the fourth one. And this is the third one. And it's this, just this tender, precious, incredible thing that comes right out of what we've been doing and takes us in the deepest way, in the most heartfelt way, into where we're going. This is, in order to start that, here's what I want to say. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Go ahead, just answer me. Tell me, what, what do you think it means to have a pure heart? What does that mean? That's a really good one, selfless. Go ahead, tell me some other things. What does it mean to have a pure heart? No sinful thoughts. That would, that would be one that would come to a lot of people's minds right away. What else? Accounts uh, What? That's good. Transparent. Okay. I, I mean, let's just take this for a little second. Let's play with some of these ideas, all right? Really, in most people's minds, when you think about being before the Lord with a pure heart, most people say, I cannot do that because there's this thing. Even if I've gone before him and forgiven and asked him for forgiveness or anything else, that, you know, I know that he's forgiven me, but I haven't forgotten it. And I know that I'm not living in there and everything else, but that's still there. And I cannot say with a pure conscience that I have a pure heart. My conscience isn't pure because of this thing, See? Right? I mean, this is a truth. This is something that, we, that is just in us, right? And by the way, you don't have to be a Christian to have this happening in your life, right? I mean, people that have made mistakes, not as Christians, they too have this thing of, I just, you know, when I remember my life, there's this blot in there, okay? But, but when you think of, 
when we think of a pure heart, it's not just to be able to have a clear conscience. It's also, like you said, it's a selflessness. Remember at one point in time that Jesus, you know, he sees this guy coming to him that he hadn't seen before, so it was a miracle. And, and he said, I, you know, how'd you see me before? But what he says to him is he says, behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. No guile, what's that mean? Just malice, malice towards others. There's no evil thought. And apparently he was thinking something underneath that tree to where it wasn't. Being humble. Yes. Yes, very much so. And I'm going there too. So, so the point is, is that where we're going is, is this idea of, it, it has, there's no malice towards somebody else. There's no, there's no issue. There's no, see what I mean? There's nothing that keeps you as you think between him. Remember, he says at one point in time, if you have ought against somebody else, don't come and give your offering right then. Go figure that out with them. Get it right. Then come before me so you can come purely. See what I mean? So, so we get all of this, and the humility very much would have to do with it. When we think of having a pure heart, see, we think of it in a big scope. And when we make it a big scope, see, we could do this. We could make it narrow. We could make it, and this, this isn't actually narrow, but let me just make the point. We can think of it in theological terms, because in theological terms, here's the truth. You have a pure heart. You have a clean conscience. Why? Because it's no longer you that does it. Right? Uh, you know, why do I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I do want to do? Oh, it's not me that's doing it anymore. See what I mean? It's sin that's in me. John says, that's Paul. John says, you cannot sin. New nature cannot sin. It's born of God. So see, in a very real way, theologically, there's that, when I think about my heart, when I think about my conscience, I can say I'm pure because I can narrow it down and forget about all that other stuff I did and go to a true place which is that's the real me, that's the real conscience, that's the real heart. But the problem is, it still doesn't work for us. I can't stand before God, even in that theological position, and say with a straight face, with a straight heart, with a clear conscience, I can't say I'm pure of heart. I know the choices that I've made. I know the times I've been given choices. I know the times that I wrestled with choices. I know the times that I failed in choices. And I don't care if you want to call it sin or anything else. When I look at the big picture of it, I got a problem. I'm not pure of heart. Which becomes a really big problem because, of course, in the Word, what it says is, is I, th I think I'm on. I don't know if I'm clicking. Would you guys go ahead and click me? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, it doesn't necessarily say if you're not pure in heart, you're not going to see God. I want to say that. And I think that there's more to this sermon, this passage, than what I'm reading into it, and we're not going to go into it today. But the thing that I want you to do is, if you're a Christian, what do you want more than to see God? Do understand. See, if you're a Christian that's made a lot of failures and had a lot of problems, you're not really that excited about seeing God. But in the end, when you get past all of the mistakes that you've made, he is your only hope. So even though you may be averting your eyes because you can't gaze into his, in the end, the bottom line, the truth is, the hope of every Christian is, at its most fundamental level, to see God. That's actually not the most fundamental hope. The most fundamental hope is to see God looking back at you with love. That's what you want, right? So, 
do I have to have a pure heart for him to look back at me at love? Because I don't have a pure heart, and so how do I get there, and, and what do I do? And again, I want to say, if, even if you're not a Christian, and you're here, and you're listening to this, do you understand? See, it's the same thing, right? You, you know, if I just hadn't done that in my life, then I wouldn't have, you know, oh, if I could just go back and not make that mistake, not do that particular thing. I have a friend, really good friend, who was driving one time, and he was intoxicated when he was young, and he hit another car and killed the other driver and got thrown into prison for a DUI and, you know, reckless homicide or uh, whatever they call that, you know what I mean, and everything else. Now, don't you know that he, he's a Christian and he loves God and he knows God loves him, but don't you know that even to today, he's been communed by the governor and everything else, but even to today, don't you know, and he'll tell you, I carry that in me every single day of my life. Right? Now, maybe you haven't actually killed anybody, but all of us have something that when we look into his eyes, if we're thinking about ourselves, we have to avert our gaze. And we don't get to see that he's looking at us in love. So we need something. We need to figure out something about this pure heart thing because the truth of the matter is the reason why we think that is because we don't understand what pure heart is. If we understand what pure heart is, I want you to see that every person in here is free right now to be completely pure in heart. Hopefully by the time we're done, that's exactly what every person in here is gonna feel. Not just understand intellectually, but feel. Pure at heart. That sounds worth it, right? So, Tamerly, okay, you're praying for us. Tamerly is just, you know, Talk about a pillar of the church, running, our, running small groups, running our, youth pro, or our kids program for years and years, doing so many different things. Just an amazing woman of God. So lift up the sermon, lift up another church too, would you please? God, thank you for your presence here today. And thank you that you want to be with us every single day. And as Kurt speaks today, show us how you see us. Show us how you want to commune with us in a way that is so personal and so intimate and that we're able to reach out and touch that and know you in a way that we all cry out to know you. Um, I pray for the church in Slovakia and Amen. for the many things that you're doing there and the team that's there right now that you will just bless that time. Pray your blessing on Kurt that your words will be spoken today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Is it hot in here? Is it just me? <laughs> I don't know if I should say thank you for that or not. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so here we are. We are doing our soap series. If somebody could help me to get to where I could click, I'd really like to be able to do it by the end. So go ahead and help me out with it. Okay, but click me right now if you would, please. This is our animation that has to do with the soap series. And if you don't know what soap is, real simple, click me and then click me again. Okay, oh, right there. Okay, so it's an, it's an acronym and it stands for Scripture Observation Application Prayer. What is Scripture? Real simple, there's a passage of Scripture. You can get it from our website. You can get it off of the thing that the church follows. A lot of people in the church do it, but a lot of people do other things. It doesn't matter. Any passage of Scripture that you're reading, as you're reading the passage, what you do is you just, you just take a moment and you, you, you're not just reading in order to get it read. 
You're reading for it, knowing that it's trying to speak to you. You're expecting it to speak. And so you're looking for something that might stand out and indicate that there's something going on here. Most of the time for me, the thing that becomes my soap is actually something very, very tiny. Today will be a great example of that. It's not actually tiny. It becomes huge. But in terms of the passage and everything else. Now, sometimes the soap can become the whole sense of the passage. But it's just, what is God saying to you in this thing? And sometimes it's a very, just minor point seemingly. But again, because he's speaking to you, there's going to be revelation in it. That when you start observing it, why does that stand out to me? Where's that speed bump? What's happening? What does that mean? As you start to deal with that, as you start to let it play in your heart, you start to let it go like this, there'll be this thing that'll sort of, God will start leading you to one place and you'll get an idea to think about this or to do this or do that and you'll start moving around and all of a sudden, you'll really get a revelation. You'll know that God has spoken to your heart, brought you something. When you get that revelation, that will immediately, it'll be obvious what the application of that is, so you apply it then to your life, and you write it down if you want to do it that way, and you say, you know, this is how I'm going to apply that revelation to my life, and then you begin to pray about it. And just ask the Lord to make that part of your life, make that happen, do all that kind of stuff, all right? Okay. Now, as I've said, go ahead and click me again, guys, and please keep working on it till we get it, but click it again, thanks. And then uh, you, you'll... It should be going right now. Make it go. Okay. Um, I think just click it again. Just try it. Yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, no problem, you know. Okay. Well, okay, d just look right here. See that soap right there? There's a little thing that'll come up here. You just click on that soap. It's in the bottom menu. These are the practical things about the church and the daily stuff. One of the reasons why we get so many hits. So you go to that soap right there, and then what it does is it'll give you four different scriptures, and then it'll, or five different days, I mean, and it'll be New Testament, Old Testament, and you can download the reading list and read it out of your Bible, or you can just click right there on the website. Really, I do my soap off my phone on my walk. So I just Google our website, and I go right to soap, and I click on the day, and it brings me to Bible Gateway, and it brings it up, and I read the passage, okay? So real simple, there's a video that could have showed you that, but that's the way it is. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I don't need it, okay? Now, what I do need, though, is the next slide. Here's the one that stuck me. Thank you. David cared for the Israelites with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. David cared for the Israelites with a let me see if I got it. Okay, click. If you hear me say click, thanks. True heart. With a true heart. Now that, that hit me in a, in a deeper way ultimately, but just understand, the first time I read it, I read it in L NLT, which is that translation. And when I read it, I went, a true heart. That just sounded funny to me. That's how much it took for me to get into a soap on this and create a long sermon about it, okay? <laughs> but, so it doesn't take much. But, 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 True heart seemed like an odd thing to say. What does it mean, a true heart? What does that mean? And in fact, I just sort of in thinking about it, I went, you know, honestly, I, I've read this before, and I don't remember it ever being translated true heart before. You know what I'm going to do right now? I'm giving you the poor man's way of doing a Hebrew Bible study. This is the way, you don't need to know Hebrew. Trust guys that know Hebrew really, really, really well and do things called translations. 
of which we have many, and of which you can get a hold of free by going to the website. You can change on Bible Gateway. You can go on your phone and change them. You can get you Bible on your phone. And it's just real simple to get a whole bunch of different translations anymore. And just look at two or three ones. If you, have a, if you want to do a Hebrew word study or a Greek word study, just look at the way various people translate it. In this particular word, click, the next, uh, the next one, HCSB, that's Holman Christian Standard Bible. I love that translation, by the way. Pure heart. See? So it's true and it's pure. And even then, see, if I'd have read pure heart in the first thing, I still think it would have stopped me. Because David could say with a straight face that he led him with a pure heart. Actually, it wasn't David, by the way, who said this. This is a psalm by someone else about David. And I believe, as I think most of us ought to believe, all of us ought to believe, I believe that though human authors wrote it, it was inspired by God. And so when God said that David had a pure heart, here's what he meant. David had a pure heart. Okay? I mean, that's what I think he meant. And so God was giving testimony to the pureness of David's heart. And I just think, as a leader, I'd love to lead this people with a pure heart. You don't have to be a leader to want to have a pure heart, though, as I said earlier. You want to just want to see God? You want to do anything you're doing? Wouldn't it be lovely to go through your life with a pure heart? But again, I, I see true heart, I see pure heart. I'm doing this, I'm doing this quick but really what is a very good Hebrew study, actually. And so I go to the next one, click, and it's an upright heart. Okay? So upright, look at this. True, pure, upright. That's ESV. Very good for literal translations, by the way, this English Standard Version. And very good. And, and NASB is one that I really like. It's been around for a long time. It's the 95 edition. Go ahead and click again. And, and this one, it's integrity of heart. So now look at this. This one Hebrew word gets translated true, pure, upright, and integrity. Now, I did more Hebrew study on it with all the tools that I know and all the skill set that I got from school and all that kind of stuff. And you know what I found out what it means? The word means true, pure, upright, and with integrity. <laughs> okay? So save yourself a lot of time and money and trust the translators. Just make sure that you get a bunch of them because you can do a really good word study this way. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, but you get the drift, okay? This stuff is not as opaque as what the scholars would like to make us think and as what some people would do with their learning. The Bible is accessible by every person, no matter their intellectual level. It is completely accessible. I, you get, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say this because you get a, you wanna see somebody who loves the Bible and loves God? Go to a Down syndrome person who has been born again in Christ. You know, this is not academic achievement. I'm not talking Asperger type. We're talking just somebody who's really got some handicap there. And boy, there's a love for God and a love for his word and a love that is just phenomenal. It's, it, it brings you to shame, right? This is what God means it to be. He means us to encounter these things in this real way that anybody can. And so again, true, pure, upright, with integrity. And I think about that, and I start thinking about David. And all of a sudden, what comes to my mind is, how in the world can David say any of that? Don't you remember Bathsheba? And Uriah, and we're going to talk about all that, but don't you remember that stuff? 
It's not the only time he sinned, by the way. Here, here's another time that he sinned. You do know that at his old age, you know, he was getting a little, you know, like, he, he numbered the people, and the idea behind it was is that he was apparently, you know, trying to say, look at the strength that I've got. I'm old, but I don't have to worry. Not trusting God, I can trust in all the people. So what does God do? It was David's choice, but God starts killing those same people that he just numbered in a plague. Let me ask you something. Has anybody in here done a, done a sin regularly that brought a plague upon our land? Anybody? At least not that you know, right? Because <laughs> the truth is we're probably doing precisely that right now, okay? But the bottom line is at least not that you know. So, you know, th- th- I mean, David's got some pretty big strikes, for the Bible to be saying such a thing about a pure heart, and David says it over and over in his things, I come before you with a pure heart, an upright heart, in righteousness. You're kidding me. <laughs> you know, geez, man, you have some humility. Look what you did. David was incredibly humble. But I look at that, and I just go, and I say something, and I go, it's weird that he chose David, and he didn't just choose David to understand about Think about this for a second. When Jesus identifies himself with another human being, who does he identify himself with more than anybody else? By far. Son of David. In the Old Testament and in the New. Son of David meant Messiah. They all got it. In the New Testament, over and over, son of David. By the way, demons all the time. Son of David. We know who you are, son of David. What the heck? Jesus has melded himself with David. Here, thank you, you got it. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I get son of Abraham. I get why you would associate yourself. Son of Abraham means what? No, son of Abraham means Jewish. That's the normal, it does also mean all believers, right? By the way, you know, even Muslims come out of son of Abraham, so then it becomes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the Jewish people. But there is the, the, that thing there, and I'm not going into all of that. But the bottom line is, is that when you hear the word son of Abraham, it is a synonym roughly most of the time for an Israelite. That, it means you come from that line. See what I mean? All right. Why doesn't it just say the record of the genealogy is the Messiah, the son of Abraham, and then go into the genealogy? Why does it pick out David? Do you know how many other people there are between Abraham and Jesus that might be worthy of Jesus attaching himself to? And, and frankly, in my mind, better candidates. I'll give you a phenomenal one. Moses. Why not son of Moses? Look, Moses did kill somebody, but hey, that guy was beating up a Jewish person, and Moses was, as a, he was coming out of his privilege and protecting somebody, so it's almost like a righteous killing, although, you know, no killing is righteous, uh, whatever, okay? Again, it's not a sermon about that. But the bottom line is, is, you know, I mean, I mean Moses, come on. You want to associate Jesus and Moses, this stuff is, gets easy. The scholars in here are going, wait a minute, Kurt, you can't do it for Moses because it doesn't go through the genealogical lines because it's supposed to come through Judah, blah, blah. Here's the point. God could have worked it out to where Jesus came from Moses. And he could have associated son of Moses with the name Jesus. Right? He would have just set it up in a way that we'd all, when we heard son of Moses, we would have said Jesus. Okay? And for good reason. Watch. Moses and Jesus. Prophet. 
right? This is, we could do many more than these that we're going to do. But Moses was clearly a prophet. Here's what he would do. If you don't let my people go, here's what's going to happen. He didn't let his people go, and what happened? That's prophetic, <laughs> right? What did Jesus do? Here's what's going to happen to me. And then what happened? That. <laughs> That's prophetic. So these two are both very prophetic. They're both deliverers. This is the big thing that Jesus is. You want to associate with somebody, associate yourself with Moses, for heaven's sakes. He's the guy that took a people out of Egypt. Did I say something wrong? I misspoke it. Okay. He took himself out of Egypt to another land, out of the land of bondage, out of the land of slavery, out of the place of oppression, into the promised land of God. This is what Jesus does. He's our deliverer. He's taking us out of this life of bondage, this life that is sold over to slavery, and he's bringing us into this new kingdom. We are in it now. We are of it now, even though we're still in this one and ultimately in heavenlies, we go to it completely. I mean, there's a direct connection between the deliverer Moses and the deliverer Jesus. Just one more. I could do many more. Miracles. How did Moses confirm that stuff was supposed to happen and that it really was God that was doing it? How did that happen? I have to do this because I'm so spaced out, I'm going to forget to do this. This is the lose last Sunday, so, right? Am I right? You guys are headed back. So be sure and say goodbye to the lose. Okay, they're heading back to China. Love on them, do everything else. I just saw you guys. I love you, okay? And I forgot all about it until I saw you right then. And I'm just going to be so spacey, I wouldn't get to it. All right, back to this. Miracles, Okay. Mo, you, know, you can't believe some of the stuff that goes through my head sometimes when I'm preaching. There's a lot of filtering that goes on, okay? You get, you get me at a moment like this, you get a little bit more of the, you know, wow, there's a lot of crap going on in his head. Okay, miracles. Moses. What, what is Moses doing? Ten plagues parting in the Red Sea? What do you think? That kind of confirmed that God was in it, right? Right? And what does Jesus do? Miracles. Delivering people. Healing people. Bringing them to God. See what I mean? Confirming his... Jesus and Moses. Jesus should be the son of Moses, I think. That's my vote, God. Because David doesn't fit at all, for heaven's sakes. David a prophet? Yeah, but, I mean, David did prophesy many, many things. By the way, you know the number one thing he prophesied about? We'll get to this a little bit next, next week. The Messiah. And it was almost accidental. Because David is talking about these horrible persecutions that are happening to him, and he's inspired of the Lord, and he's writing down you know, the, these words, and he's writing them down, and all of a sudden he'll write down something that people look at later and they go, that was about David. You can see how he would get, you know, based on what he was in, it clearly was about David, but there's something more in that. And even the Jewish scholars of the day said, this has actually got excess meaning in it, and it goes to the Messiah. It's prophetic about the Messiah. But it fit David. So it was almost like David, as he was trying to express his heart, just accidentally expressed something more. Because it was in the same vein. See that? So he's like the accidental prophet. Okay? You know, a deliverer? Not really. He didn't deliver. Yeah, there were enemies in the land, and he got rid of them, and he established their borders and so on. But that's not the same thing as taking somebody out of someplace and putting them into someplace else. You want to know where my mind goes? Watch this. Tim and Christy, your wedding was phenomenal. I had so much fun at it. It is great to see you guys back. It is awesome. I've been loving all the pictures on Facebook and everything else. Just incredible to have you back. Okay. I'm such a people person. Okay. All right. So 
d deliver. David didn't really deliver. See what I mean? All right? Now, miracles. Maybe Goliath was a miracle. I mean, yeah, sure, he was anointed by God in power to beat, and you know, but he got some training by tearing up a bear and a lion and you know what I mean? So, but, but tell me the miracles that David did. I mean, if you're going to associate with somebody, associate yourself with somebody as Messiah, I don't see why you're associating yourself with David. Because he's not typologically the same. What is it? And now let's get serious about it. Because really, the guy that you're going to associate with you know, that plague thing we already talked about, but, you know, the big one, the, the one that we don't talk about. Can I say something about the way that we think about David? Particularly if you were brought up in the church. Particularly if you were brought up in the church. We have a Sunday school sanitized version of pure David. And it causes us to not see the real man and understand how important it is that we continue to hold on to the real man. See, we, he did all these wonderful things, and he was so true to God, and he made this little mistake. And we look at it every once in a while, like this, but you know, Sunday school, you can't talk about adultery and murder. See what I mean? So we don't really talk about that. We talk, yeah, he made a mistake, but you know, God forgives mistakes, and everybody makes mistakes. But you see what we do? We kind of push into the background what God is trying to bring to the foreground. It is no mistake that God is associating himself with David. The David who, as an older man, not going to war because he was tired, looks out over his city at dusk one day and sees a beautiful girl bathing in the nude. And instead of averting his eyes as a gentleman, as a good man would do, he looks on her and begins to lust so much that he commands for her to be brought, even though he is told that she is the wife of one of David's soldiers that's in the field. That is despicable. And he brings her in and sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. And then what he does is he calls to Uriah and he brings Uriah from the front and just gets some, you know, he's just doing busy work. But what he really wants to do is he's going to go sleep with his beautiful wife, of course. He's been at battle. He's going to go comfort himself and so on. And, you know, he's going to avail himself of that and then nobody will know the sin that I did. What, is, what, what does Uriah do? Go home and relax, says David to Uriah. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's guard. When David heard that, he summoned him and asked, why didn't you go home? And Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I would never do such a thing. I now have a new candidate for somebody that Jesus should ally himself with. Uriah, this is a good man. You want to hear about a horrible man? You know the next thing that David does? Think about the evil that it takes in the mind to get to this place. I know how people are. He says that he can resist his wife, but, you know, get him drunk. His resistance will fall, and he'll surely go and sleep with her. Do you know how evil that is? Just think of that. I, I don't know. There might only be 10 people in here that have ever done an act more evil than that single act right there. Just to think through how to entrap somebody, how to ensnare them, to get them drunk so that they'll do this. That's just bad. Uriah, 
even drunk, stays faithful. So then David does the thing that this is the bad thing. The murder was bad, the adultery was horrible, but this is the bad thing. He gives him a note, seals it, and has Uriah carry back to the commander his own death sentence. For what? Because the king had slept with his wife and impregnated her. The, in the note, it was written, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back so that he'll be killed. I don't think there's anybody in here that's ever done anything worse than that. Maybe. But that's bad. <laughs> and this is who Jesus is going to align himself with? Can, I, can, we, can we get past the Sunday school here? I can kill the Sunday school idea about it right now. If David were here right now today and he weren't David, right? You know, we knew about him from the Bible, David. If it was just a guy in this church that had slept with someone else's wife and then killed the husband, would we be putting him on stage and exalting him as a great man of God? If he was truly repentant, we might let him say a testimony. And it would be a very powerful testimony as he repented and as he did all these kinds of things. But would we give him an exalted place? Would we let a man like that ever be the pastor of a church? Denominationally? Isn't there a line somewhere that's just too far? Isn't there? Turns out there's not. Turns out it wasn't about that at all. And this is why Jesus aligns himself with David. Because David does the most extraordinary thing in the middle of a failure which is larger than, I hope, I pray, anybody who would listen to this sermon. In the middle of that, what did David do? When he gets busted by the prophet, what does he do? Here's the first thing he does. Here's what he cries out in his heart. We see it from a psalm, and we're going to go into the psalm a little bit deeper, but just watch this for a second. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Is there, how many people are there in this congregation who have ever said those exact words after a failure, after a direct choice against the Lord? Oh God, created me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Hasn't almost every single person in this room cried out something, if not exactly those words, and if they haven't cried out those words, try those words sometimes and mean them. Because boy, them's the right words. And even if you don't know Christ, this is exactly what you do. When you make some horrible mistake, you're going, oh God, not, you're not saying God, but you're saying, oh, that I could wash that slate clean, that I could get that out of me, that I could, that I could be gone. 
See what I mean? How do I start over again? This is the cry of the heart. This is it right here. David gives us this cry. And when we hear this, what we're hearing is something extraordinary, but I'm going to do a little sidebar right now, okay? I just need to take us out of the story for just one quick second because I want to show you an accidental prophecy on David's part. Watch this now. Created me a clean heart. You know that word create right there? Guess what word that is in Hebrew? Some of you know it. Barah. There's several words for create in Hebrew. In Genesis, there's barah and asah. What does barah mean? Something from nothing brand new. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's a barah. There was nothing, and now there was something. See what I mean? Barah is a brand new creation. A saw is there was something and we're making something new. We're kind of carving something out of it. This is created me a clean heart. And Eugene Peterson does us all a huge favor by properly translating it when he says this. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Is that beautiful? What does Jesus Christ do when he borns us again? He creates a new heart, a barah. He did a barah, three-time barah, when he made man in Genesis week. And now, as we get born again, he does yet another barah. He breathes on us just like he did Mary, and there's a new kind of being inside. See it? Now, it gets even better because the second thing that he says in this verse is, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Who is it that makes us new as Christians? The Holy Spirit. In the soap that we did this week, if you read it, you heard Jesus saying, you know what, if you really got what's going on, you'd be happy that I'm going away. Because if I don't go, I can't send the Spirit. But if I send the Spirit, He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be in you. He will make you new and reside with you forever, even in the midst of your biggest failures. David, the accidental prophet, has just prophesied the new creation. He's cried out with the deepest human heart what we actually need, not just to make it better, but to start over. Clean slate, new thing. Something that takes us from one reality into another. This is phenomenal where David gets to. I'm going to show you how he gets there in just one second, and we'll talk about it a lot more next week. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, but for now we're going back. And the place that we're going back to is, we're going back to, here's David now. Now, now listen to him. Listen to how beautifully he starts. Okay? To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to, into Bathsheba. Can I say something? That's the title that for all eternity is on that psalm. Now, did David place it there? I don't know, but there's good evidence for it. David is saying, I don't want you to misunderstand what this psalm is about. This is when I did that huge, horrible thing I did. And I want you to see what happened in me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression. My sin is ever before him. Here's what he did not do. Andrew, could I have you for one second? I should have asked you beforehand, but I'm sorry. 
okay? And I'll try not to breathe on you too hard, okay? All right, Th this is Andrew, okay? Now, I should have got somebody who didn't actually have a wife because I don't want you to think anything weird, but I just, okay? <laughs> but just, just hang in there with me, okay? God forbid, but I had an affair with your wife. I didn't have an affair with his wife, okay? You hear that? Mom, I didn't do it. Okay, Julie, I didn't do it. Okay? But and I just want to be, she wouldn't want to, but that, would, that wouldn't matter. That doesn't not, that's not the important part, okay? <laughs> yeah, stop, stop. The filter part, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, here's the point. Watch what I could do. Watch what we've seen in the Bible happen when people get busted. Adam. I'm going to do it like Adam does it. He just found out about the fact that, that I did something. She made me do it. She came on to me first. It's her fault. Now, he already wants to smash me in the face. But when you say something like that, she made me do it, you know, he, no excuse, right? Just bam, right in the face. Okay? I, I, here's another one for you. You just have to understand, I was really tired. I just wasn't thinking clearly. I was sick. You know what I mean? I just wasn't all, I wasn't all there. So I made a mistake, but it's just because I was tired. Now, does that make him feel any better about this? He probably doesn't want to hit me quite as bad, but he's still, you know, you are a loser. <laughs> right? You're the big loser. Do I got it right the right way? Which way is the L? Is it this one? Okay. Loser, right? Because you're not copping to this thing. See what I mean? I, I can go on and on with it. How many different ways could I try and deflect taking the blame, owning what actually happened here? I don't know. How many different ways have we tried? Take us, what, a couple of days to get through all the different ways that we've tried to deflect the blame that was due us? Try years. There's only one way to come right when you've messed up. I am so sorry. I blew it. I made such a mistake. I'm not going to work myself out of it by going to battle more. I'm not, as if that's going to solve it. If I just went to battle every year, I would have not done this. I'm not going to go to all these other places that my mind would go. I'm going right to here and I'm saying, I am so sorry. I made such a huge mistake. I blew it so badly. I am so sorry. I know you don't ever have to forgive me. I would ask you to forgive me, but you don't have to. Anything that you do to me, I have coming to me. I am so sorry. I place myself at your mercy. Whatever you think, it's okay. He still wants to hit me. <laughs> but when I say that, he can't. There's just something in him that's going to respond. There's just something in us when we come, we're built. Here's how we're built in our Adamic nature to do anything we can to get away from owning it. But in our Christ nature, own it. Every part of it. Don't give any contextualization. Own it, just like David did. Thank you, and I'd shake your hand, but thank you. And thank you, Michelle. You gotta own it. But now we're going to come to, and we've done this before, so some of you know where I'm about to go here, and that's only going to take a second for me to do it. But we're about to come to what I think is the most important verse in all of the Psalms. 
We've been reading them for a long time in our soaps, and I think that this is the single most important verse in all the Psalms. Because what David says next is way outside of our ability to comprehend. What David says next is, against you, he's talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned. Can you imagine Bathsheba in the other room reading the fresh psalm that David just wrote, getting to that line and going, say what? (laughs) Against God only? I didn't want to sleep with you. You commanded this. This was rape. Say what? You can imagine Uriah in heaven, the angels happen to hold him back, saying, Really? You're going to say that? Really? The guy who killed me and is sleeping with my wife? Really? Really. The reason why that's the most important psalm is because it reveals something about us, about God, about the way things are, about everything that is so cosmic and important. And again, this is the part you've heard before, and I'm going to do it quickly, but I just want to say something. Here's what sin is, and we know it because of this verse, and if it wasn't for this verse, we would not know this, because you wouldn't get it properly anywhere else. Here's the truth about sin. What we think sin is, is that we've hurt God. We hurt him in some way. And so being hurt, he's got to pay us back in some way. See, consequences, reap what you sow, right? But what we think of sin is as hurting God. That is not true. I'm not saying God doesn't hurt, but it's an entirely different thing than what we think. Here's what sin is. God has a way of life for us that is filled with riches, that is filled with glory, that is filled with peak to peak, understanding to understanding. I don't mean there's not valleys, I don't mean there's not tough things too, but I mean God has a way of life for us that is absolutely transcendent of anything we can even imagine. God has the most perfect thing ever for us, and sin is anybody that would ever say, I'm just going to go another way. Which is why I always say something about it, sin is stupidity. We think about it as hurting God. It's not. It's hurting us. Does God hurt for us when we hurt ourselves? Yes. But it's no skin off of God's back. We didn't take a pound of his flesh. We took a pound of our flesh. We walked away. Do you remember the first thing when God busts David? Do you remember the first thing that God says to David? I gave you your master's daughters, his wives, everything else. I gave you both Israel and Judah. And if, it ha- if that hadn't been enough, I'd have gladly thrown in much more. I had everything for you, and you were living in it, and you knew it, and you chose to go somewhere else. That's sin. Period. It is not that we hurt God, it's that we hurt ourselves. We have to get this right in our hearts or we'll always mystifying God. We'll always think of him in a way that he is not. Let me tell you a little parable. Remember two weeks ago I read something out of a book? I'm going to take you in a little, I'm going to tell you a little story right now. And I want to just illustrate this, Okay. Okay, so there's a shop owner, let's say, and he's a, he's, he owns a music store, 
It's a guy who owns a music store, right? Well, what, what does a guy who owns a music store want to do? Does he want to become rich? You don't open a music store if you want to become rich. Okay? What do guys that own music stores want to do? Help people become musicians, right? So people know that he wants them to help become musicians, and there's a certain group of people, and we're going to make it this, this crowd over here, okay? And actually, actually, you're the first crowd, and here's what the first crowd is doing. We don't even know who the music owner is, and we don't care about him, and we're not paying any attention to him, and we can walk by him right by in the street, and who cares? And you guys are just walking by the music store owner, and you don't give him any mind or any care or anything else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he wants for you. You don't even think about it. That's you guys. Thank you very much. Here's who you guys are, okay? You guys are the guys that do know the music store owner. You know, your family friends, your parents are friends, and you know that the music store owner really wants you to become a musician. And you just don't want to. This is not what you want for your life. You want something else. And so when the music store owner is walking down the street, you're the one that kind of duck into the stores and stuff so you don't have to see him because you feel guilty that you know that he wants something for you and it might even be a good thing, but it doesn't matter because it's not what you want, so you're doing it your own way. Okay? That's who this group of people is. This group of people right here, here's who you are. You're drug addicts. Okay? You know what? You don't have to just be drug addicts. Let's make it, let's make it both groups because this is going to encompass a lot of people. We'll make you drug addicts and we'll make you guys addicted to what? Porn or whatever. Pleasure stuff. Okay? All right? So this is the addicted class. Okay? And, and here's what the addicted class does. They go to the music store and they steal this because it's worth money that I can go buy some drugs or buy some porn or whatever with, see? So they steal from the owner. Now, what you're thinking about, when I'm walking down the, when the music store owner's walking down the street, what you think about me is, you know, he probably knows that it's me and he's gonna be really mad at me, and so I'm gonna hide. Now, do note something here. We've got three quarters of the room now hiding from the music store owner, okay? I should have left one last class of people that actually were interacting with the music store owners. So, let's, let, yeah, you guys are all addicted porn addicts, okay? And you guys can be the guy that actually liked the music store owner, and you guys, are, you guys are being musicians, okay? See, they're all whooping, okay? So you do the wave, and everybody else doesn't, okay? So, all right, so that's who you guys are. So there are a group of people that, you know, hi, and they're coming to the music store, and they're, they're going back and forth. But then there's this group that's hiding from him, and then there's this group that's hiding from him for a different reason, and then there's this group that's just not paying attention to him. And if he ever reaches out to him, they're just moving away, okay? Now, see, this group of people here is having an interaction with the Lord. This group of people here thinks that God is mad at them. He's upset with them for what they've done, the stealing. This group of people thinks that God's upset with them because they're not doing what he wants and they want to do what they want. And this group of people here is not paying any mind. Now, that, so two, half the room here thinks of God in a certain way, that he's upset with them. Now, now, let's take it from the music owner's standpoint. What does he think? When he looks at the addicts, what does he think? He's not thinking, I'm mad at you for stealing. He's thinking, God, I give it to you. Here, I don't want you to use it for drugs, but here, you want a music stand? Here, have a music stand. I want you to become a musician. Here, I'll give it to you for free. I don't care about it. I went in the music business. I wasn't trying to get rich. I just want to give you. I want you to become a musician. 
Because I know that the addiction that you're involved in is giving you a certain kind of pleasure. And I'm telling you, if you'd become a musician, you'd learn a song. You'd learn how to sing. You'd learn how to express your heart. You'd learn how to let your heart go someplace transcendent. You'd let your heart go to someplace that makes all of the perversions, the addictions, seem like superficial things where they've they've overtaken your life now. But really, the truth is, this thing is the thing that I intended to overtake your life. I meant you to become passionate about something. I meant you to become loving this music and wanting this and going into this and entering into this and moving into this incredible place that will cause, yeah, there might be some habits and some patterns that would, that would hang on, but it will cause you to just increasingly transcend, increasingly go to an incredible place. That's what I wanted for you. Am I mad at you? Your thought is, is that, you know, he's angry at me because I stole from him, but what am I thinking about you? Oh, God, I wish you would learn this song. Oh, man, I wish you'd become a musician. Same thing for these guys. They're hiding because they think he's upset with them because they haven't chosen to go the way that he wants. And what's he thinking? Oh, yeah, you didn't go the way I wanted. I had some better. No, he's going, oh, God, if you would just learn this song. I know why you're doing the things that you're doing. I know, I get it, and, and I, I get it, but oh, if you would just learn this song, and he's going to this group too, and he's, he's doing everything he can to say, listen to the song. In fact, here's how much he's doing. You know what this music store owner does? Because he knows that this whole group's angry with him and this group doesn't pay any attention to him, he starts dressing up in disguise. And he comes down to this group and he starts underneath the bridges and so on and he starts singing songs with them and he starts getting them to be in a, in a community and he starts singing songs and spending time with them. He's not, you know, he's not the music store owner this time that has an agenda. He's just singing songs with them. And he comes to this group, and he knows, I know that you're going after all of these things, but here's what I want to do with you. I just, I'm just being with you, and, I, you know, and you might start singing a song, and then you join in on a song, and wow, that feels pretty cool, and that was, that was nice, and so on. And he's walking alongside of these people, and he's got his arms around him, and he's just humming a little tune, hoping that it might start to make their heart vibrate in a way that syncs up with the song, so they might start to see that there really is something else. I do remember in this town, there's an overlord. And when we think about the overlord, just like when we thought about the music store owner, we had the wrong impression of him. When we think about the overlord, we have the wrong impression about him. Here's, here's what these people think. He just wants me addicted so he can have all my money because he's trying to get rich and he, he wants me to be addicted. And these people are thinking, you know, about the overlord. Well, you know what I mean. He's, he, you know, I'm doing the stuff, and I know that some of it's got to go to him and taxes and so on and, and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing it on my own, and it's not really him even though you're paying taxes to him. And these people are saying the same thing. Well, I don't have anything to do with that overlord, but really you don't understand. You are. There's something that's going on in your life that is causing you to be there. Now, here's the way the overlord really is. He doesn't give a ding about you guys. He doesn't care about your addictions and he doesn't care about what you want and he doesn't care about anything. You know the only thing he cares about? The music store owner. And he sees that music store owner down here amongst people and he says, this is my chance. And he comes to a little group of these people over here that were interacting with the music store people and he says, you know that kind of music that you like? And you know how sometimes it seems and sometimes, and you know what? This guy wants to teach music, but it's not the same music as you want. It's not the same music that you think is the right kind of music. 
it's, it's, you know, it's rap, and you like symphony. And rap is bad. <laughs> See? And he stirs up this group of people. Not these ones. He stirs up this group of people. To do what? To kill the music store owner who was in disguise. But the trick was on him. He thought he'd won. But the reason why he owns this group and this group and this group is because these groups have made a decision to walk on another path than the one that is God's. And they have chosen to walk away, and though they don't know it, they are under him now. That's why he owns them. By the way, all of you guys that chose to kill me too, okay? You know the coolest thing about that picture? That is him taking the consequence of every single choice that every single person has made upon himself. This is the ripping across. It's not that God is bloodthirsty and has to beat up somebody who's wrong. Here's what he has to do. By the way, theological pub people, really pay attention to this. It's coming tomorrow in our talk. I, I just really want you to get a hold of something deep here. The pain that you see inflicted upon God, the music store owner, is the pain of people having chosen to rip themselves apart from him. That's the pain that he's experiencing. That's what this is. And he's taken all of that upon himself and died. But guess what? The reason why the overlord has control over the citizens of the city is because they made a choice that was inconsistent with the music store owner. They made a choice that was inconsistent with the song. But when the music store owner went down there and served these people and walked with them and then even unto death, he didn't do anything that was inconsistent with the song. He was in the middle of the song. That was the song. The song of the God who reaches out, the music store owner who reaches out. That was the song. And so he didn't make a choice to go against the song, and so death cannot hold him, and so he comes rising up out of the grave, and all of a sudden people see it, and a whole lot of people from this group and this group and this group and this group see this song coming up, and they hear the rhythm of it, and they hear the melody of it, and they hear the harmony of it, and they begin to sing in themselves about this thing that has taken place. And in so doing, they join the song, and they become part of the song, and they are ascended out. Now, in this story, we did not understand properly who the music store owner was, what his heart was, what his orientation towards us was. He only wanted to help us get the song. That's all he cared about. The stuff that we've done wrong isn't an issue. <laughs> in fact, it is oftentimes the very tool that gets us to the place to where we cry out, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, take not your presence from me, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Do you hear it? Now all of a sudden, what am I doing? I'm singing the song. I've joined him. And I am coming out of as I sing the song. That's all that he was. 
We misunderstood the overlord. We misunderstood because of our lies and our deceptions that we live in. It isn't about what we do wrong. The things that we do wrong can become the most beautiful songs of all. And now let me just blow your mind. What's a psalm? David wrote 78 of them. What's a psalm? Is it a poem? It's a lyric. To what? A song. In the middle of David's biggest trial, he sings a song of God. In the middle of his victories, he sings a song to, of, from, with, connected, harmonious of God. In the middle of his need, how many times does he say, when I'm in trouble, help me, God. When he's really in trouble, where are you, God? But how does he usually end those ones? I know in the end. I know in the end. Do you see now why David aligned himself with, why Jesus aligned himself with David? Because David's the musician that had the song of God playing in his heart at every moment, in the biggest failures, in the victories, at every moment, the way that God says it is, a man after my own heart. Rhythmically, we think that music comes from the rhythms, even the beating heart, and the rhythm that that creates and lays down, and from that, but it's just the heart, too, in the metaphorical sense. It is song. What does song do? It takes us beyond the intellect. It takes us out of this world. It takes us out of this situation. It transcends us into a deeper, spiritual, beautiful, glorious, incredible place. How do you have a pure conscience? How do you have a pure heart before God at all times? No matter what you have done, be singing the song. Look for the song. Is it a place of need? Look for the song. Is it a place of failure? Look for the song. Is it a place of victory? Look for the song. In everything you do, look for the song. Because God is singing a song. Because he wants you to get it. He doesn't care about what you did. He just wants you to use it to get to know the song because it's the most beautiful song ever. And so if you would write down with me this challenge, I will become his song. I will become his song. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, Thank you, God, that you bring us this music that transcends all the other stuff. We can come to you with a pure heart in the midst of our failure. We can be singing the song of redemption, of resurrection, of creating new hearts, of bringing a Holy Spirit that will not depart, that continues to teach us how to find the melody even in failure, even in glory, even in victory, even in fright, even in every moment. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take us and make us your song that we can say at every moment I have a pure heart because I am singing your song with my life. We take this communion that is before us and we take this bottom cup. 
Can I just say, there's a miracle right there. I haven't had a conversation in seven days that I haven't coughed the whole way through it. Thank you, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we lift up this cup in which is the, 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 the life, the, the wrong song, the broken song, the songlessness, the brokenness of our life. And we take our finger and we put it in there and we break it, recognizing that we have lost your melody. But in Jesus' holy and precious name on that cross, you bring us a new song. And we begin to cry out in sync and in harmony. And so we take this body of Christ that was broken for us to make us whole. And we begin to sing out the song that says, I am healed in Christ.